listening to episode 38, chapter 5 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. What a great conversation we've had this week with Jeff and Sid. Like, their book, this whole concept of does God really like me has really put things in perspective for me. I've never really would have thought about that question about God. I mean, we ask that question about other people, right? Do other people like me? And you know what you, you know what it really reminds me of of uh like sometimes if you would ask your mom or maybe your spouse like well it, it, you know, am I good at something or you know, do do you do you love me? And, and it doesn't really count when they say it, right? You know, when your mom was like, oh, yeah, no, honey, you're the best at that. And you're like, yeah, but you're my mom. You kind of have to say that. And I feel like that's how many of us approach God. At least it's it's how I've approached God. Um, it's like, yeah, he loves me. And that's great. I mean, it really is. That, that's a good thing. But to think about the fact that God actually likes you, I think, takes it to a whole other level, which is then it's in itself ironic just because like is a lesser value than love but for some reason you know to get that i like you in there it just changes the ball game up a little bit and i I think because maybe it's not as cliche like we hear yeah we've kind of changed the the semantic range of what the word love actually means like you can love something without enjoying it you can love something without actually taking pleasure in that thing. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of weird to say. Well, I, you know, and it might go, yeah, maybe, I mean, that, that that's definitely true. I think it's probably a particular problem for us in the church because then we hear things like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to love everybody, but we don't have to like everybody, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. there's going to be annoying people in the church. And so yeah, it's our duty to be have love for our brothers and sisters. But That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. We don't always have to like get along with them and, and all that sort of stuff. And so um, I, I think maybe we have that stigma that, well, if I have to love, you know, sister so-and-so who's always doing whatever that annoys me, you know, well, then they're probably feeling the same way about me or at least other people are. And then God feels the same way about me. Absolutely. It's just an obligation. So we're projecting our own issues onto God and uh, that's a really, really common problem. Um, but, but like I said, this book that Jeff and Sid has written really puts things in perspective. Again, taking this, taking the view that the root cause of our sin and separation from God really comes from our shame, and 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 how that initial temptation in the garden was really one of producing shame in Eve for saying, no, 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 you're really not like God. You know, you need to do something to measure up sort of, you know, and then we've all had that. We, we've all experienced that negative self-talk in our, in our minds. And so it, it starts to make so much more sense. And then the death of that relationship, that distance that we now experience between God and we experience between others is our lack of joy. Because then that, so I, I see this episode as sort of like, does God really like me? And this, the crux of that really has to do with shame and joy on yep. each side of like a fulcrum. And so, um, yeah, so that was also a radical idea is to um, express joy 
or, or the definition of joy is the loss or the separation of relationship. Cause I never would have put it there either. Yep. And for me, so one of the things I loved about their book was that it, it really does like, like we talked about during the episode, kind of take you through a biblical theology mm-hmm. and it's not like they're, they're separating this idea from their study of scripture. They've really combined the two yeah. and made it something that they can trace through all of scripture from the very beginning to the very end. And you find this internal consistency that makes it hard to argue with. Yeah. Because if the entire point of scripture is about God with us, then the entire problem is that we are apart from God. Mm-hmm. And everything comes as a result of that. Yeah. And we can, we can kind of argue yeah, which one came first, the sin or the shame. But um, I, I really like that point that Jeff was making when he said that the, the temptation was really pointing out a lack or trying to get Eve to think about a lack of something that she had and make her feel ashamed. Yeah. And out of that place to then do something about it mm-hmm. that was contrary to God's character. Yeah. Now that you bring up a great point about the biblical theology, because they don't use that term in the book at all. Like I, you know, and, and for some people who might hear that and even get turned off, the value of having a coherent biblical theology run through the book like you're talking about is that it is a well-thought-out, well-presented argument, discussion of this, what what can be a very complex uh, issue if you look at Scripture, right? I mean, we can dive into deep biblical theologies in each books and passages and then, you know, all 66 books of the Bible and et cetera. And they they don't necessarily do that other than through these little stories. And so I, I, but I think that's important. And some we're, since we're talking about a biblical theology, why it's important is because I think it brings an incredible coherence to what they're saying. It means something. It's really something that you find in Scripture, not just something that you know you've plucked out of a particular passage. And so this is this becomes the entire theme of Scripture: is God wanting to be with us and restore you know, our joy, that thing that we lost because of shame, right? That we, yep. we can have a relationship with him. And from there, it's not a huge step to, to logically say, if God's entire purpose is to be with us, he must find something in us that he likes. Yeah. Now, I guess that's what we have to talk about that, that can kind of come up. We had got to talking about this um, after our conversation with them, and just this idea that what does God like about us? Is it who we are now, or is it who we're going to become? You know, there's lots of different ways that this—the uh, phrase is God likes us for who we are. That's the phrase. And yeah. that's the phrase that always needs to be qualified or— you know, made clear because we don't really know what we mean when we say that. <laughs> yeah, and it's what gets people in trouble, uh, gets churches and ministers in trouble when they start talking about the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. It's God accepts us for who we are. Yes. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, Especially we're when we're talking about, about that stuff. But no, no, no. Yeah, but but no, no. It, it, it's a good point. I'll just use this to illustrate it. It's a good point when we talk about these sins of being, when we yeah. characterize them as being. Even so, like. 
we say somebody is a homosexual. So then when you say God accepts you for who you are, then we have to start asking all these questions like, well, does that mean he's accepting of that homosexual lifestyle or is it the practice? Because if I am gay, then does that mean that God has accepted gayness as an appropriate lifestyle? The same could be said for like an alcoholic, right? I am an alcoholic. Well, what does that yep. mean? Um, it, so it, it's the same problem. So we have a very few select sins where we we characterize those in terms of being. But all of this boils down to the 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 main one, which is we are sinners. And so if we are sinners, what does that mean for God to like us for who we are? Does that mean that He likes our sinful nature. Yeah. And, because and the, we have that passage, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, exactly. While we were in that state, he started pursuing us. That's right. And so I guess the way I, I might qualify that, since that's what we're doing here, is to say that that's really what, that's what God loves. He loves who we are, not necessarily the sin, obviously. Um, it, another way of maybe looking at this, and I can't remember, we, we got talking about it, but I don't remember where the quote came from, but it's... It's something to do with the effect that God sees us as we actually are. And as we actually are, are not sinless people. That's not who he created us to be. And so he's got this idea of who we can become, sort of our potential. But that potential isn't something that we have to work and measure up to. This is where all the, the sticky stuff comes into play, and it's really hard to wrap our heads around this. I, I, I don't know. Either I'm particularly lacking in the language or just maybe language is lacking in the ability to express this because it's so paradoxical that God could like us and yet redeem us from something that we definitely need to be redeemed from. Um, For me, it's okay. So my kids have been watching uh, the live action Aladdin movie with Will Smith lately. And I just hear that phrase over and over again, diamond in the rough. mm -hmm. When you look at Aladdin, the dude messed some stuff up. Yep. And he did some some bad things. But, I mean, he's the typical Disney prince who's going to come along in the end and uh, be the, the one to sweep Jasmine off her feet. Yep. Uh, but I see an analogy there <clears throat> in, in what you're saying. God sees us uh, as the, the eternal beings meant to be in relationship with him. And he sees, he can see in a sense, through or past the stuff that we do when we act out of our shame and we're separated from that relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't change his longing for us. And I, we talked about the, the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. And so if we look at that, right, I mean, the son has done a great injustice to his father. You know, he's basically wished his father dead. He's taken his portion. He's squandered it. And He's fallen on hard times, and he, and he comes back. And yet, the father doesn't see any of those things. The father sees past those things. The father sees his beloved son who is returning home to him. And although, obviously, consequences are in place that, you know, that portion of his inheritance is gone. He won't get that anymore. The, you know, the father's land has been half. Like, none of those sorts of things have changed in the story, and yet those things aren't the point. The point is, is that the father still loves and likes his son and invites him into his home to be a son once again. And so 
It's like, identity. It's identity, exactly. And and those things are hard to see past because we are so stuck in our our here and now, and I I need to measure up in this you know achievement focused goals and well, stuff like so that. We're so stuck in this idea that we've got a. Uh, basically a record of our good and bad deeds and somehow the good yeah. has to outweigh the bad. I mean, we don't No, I don't think, I don't think there are very many Christians nowadays who would actually describe things like that. Yeah. But I think that belief is so deeply ingrained in our thinking that we can't help but think of things in that, in that yeah. way. It's true. And then it, it's really tough then to get a handle of, of your identity in Christ because you're so, like you're saying, focused on what you do and you have to make sure that what you do is good enough yeah in outweighs all of the things yep. that you've done that are bad and that's not it's not and that's not the way that that it should be looked at at all because again um to our core we are sinful we have a sinful nature there's nothing that we could do to, that would ever measure up that would ever write that ledger if we want to use that sort of language and yet god still loves us in the midst of all of that, he died for us. He wants to be with us. And so he, he is working to redeem us. And that's where this idea of joy really, um, really just knocks it out of the park for me. Because, because again, it's one thing to say God loves you. To me, it's very, very great to hear that God likes me. But then it's on another level that because of God's love and his like of me, he wants me to find joy. Like that's it, to me that again, you want good things for the people that you love. And so that's one of the ways that you know that somebody loves you is what they would do for you. And so um, the fact that God wants us to enjoy his presence and, and, and that to be our joy. Again, I think that's incredible news, right? Because again, it now it's not just it's fire insurance. It's get out of jail free card. It's, you know, it's none of those things. Salvation becomes about our relationship with him and the joy that comes from that. Because life is hard. Life is tough. I mean, we're going to encounter trials. We know that. And that's even part and parcel of the Christian life. But there's something about following Jesus and taking on that light burden, that his yoke, the yoke of Christ, that brings incredible joy in a way of life that can't be found anywhere else. Absolutely. You know, okay, let's take a shift now and let's uh, play devil's advocate and uh, do exactly what uh, Paul was trying to come against in Romans 6. Should we then just kind of not worry about transformation and becoming better people or doing better things if God loves us and likes us where we're at now? Yeah, that's a great question. And because that, that's the problem that I think we run into a lot with um, any, any major sins of being like we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's the, the argument then becomes, well, if God accepts me as I am now, why change? Why change? Exactly. Um, that's a good question. And I think this comes back to motives when we're pursuing any sort of change. We have to ask ourselves why. Why are we pursuing this? Um, so in, in this case, as we talk about a lot, it's not that we should be seeking that change for the sake of change. Change is something that the Spirit does in us as we spend time in our relationship with Christ. In that 
relationship, we can't help but begin to take on the character and likeness of Christ. And, and, and then to go all the way down to that definition of what it, what it means to be a disciple is to be a learner, to, to be a follower. So, yeah, in one sense, we are following Christ in order to learn how to be like him. But again, I think even that language is lacking something because it's not that we can set Jesus up as a teacher for exactly the thing that we just got done talking about. He just happens to be the way in which we make ourselves good. Mm-hmm. We, we balance that ledger by following him and yep. his example. And or that's not it at all. praying 30 minutes in the morning, reading your Bible for another hour, exactly. doing all this other stuff, fasting once a day. Yep. And Jesus blasted the Pharisees throughout the entire New Testament for doing the exact same thing. Exactly. Exactly. So we know that can't be it, because if anybody would have achieved it, it would have been the Pharisees, <laughs> and yet they fell woefully short. So, um, no, I, I, and again, I think coming at this from that perspective of we enter into this relationship with Christ to learn from him. But w- so what are we learning from him? We are learning how to be in relationship with the Father. Yep. That has to be what we're learning from him. And so when, it, when, when we talk about following Jesus and doing what he did, it's not necessarily um, waking up in the morning and going out into the mountains and praying, although there's maybe some principles there that we can take from that. It's not necessarily abandoning our trade and becoming a carpenter because that's what Jesus did. It's not stop driving your car and walk everywhere because that's what Jesus did. Yeah. It becomes how do we seek our relationship with the Father like Jesus did? That's what we are here to chiefly learn about, and that's what it means to create a lifestyle of discipleship. And it's through that, it's, it's through seeking that relationship that the Spirit changes us into the kind of person that God sees us as. Because as we begin to see and know more of God, we are transformed. What's the verse? You're better at the references. 2 Corinthians 3. As that's we right. look at him, we're changed, and, and really see his glory, we are changed from glory to glory. Yes. And so it's, it's all about, like the author of Hebrews says, because of where we're at now and looking at all the, the heroes of the faith that are around us, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who started this thing and the one who's going to finish this thing. Um, he started our, our faith journey. He's going to finish our faith journey. It's all about him. And the more we look at him, the more we're transformed to be like him. And all he asks is that we continue to look at him and to be close to him. And that's, that's good news. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Sid and Jeff's work, check out DoesGodReallyLikeMe.com. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. <laughs>